Well, today's message is week 11 in a series, as I already mentioned this morning, called The Story. And the story is a book with a selection of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, just to help us, um, you know, track that wider arc of God's story. Because, you know, we often do, we drill really deeply into sections of the Bible, which is the right thing to do, absolutely. But this is a slightly different view or, or approach that we're taking, and I've found it very helpful. And if you've been following along, you'll know it began with God's creation story right back at the beginning, and what that meant for us. It meant that we uh, were created in His image, it means we have value, it means that we have purpose. But we were created in perfect relationship with God, a perfect world only for humans to fall into sin and break that perfect relationship and to break that perfect world. And then the story we've been following has been since then. It's been God's redemption, his redemptive love story for the world since then. And that's really how we should read the Bible. Israel was to be the nation that blessed all nations. The story arc of Israel we're reading, eventually it'll bring us to Jesus. It will get there eventually, but it's good to, to dwell on everything in history, particularly in biblical history up to that point, and then, of course, beyond. But the parallels of Israel's salvation from Egypt and our salvation through Jesus have been are really important for us to grasp a hold of. We learn lessons from uh, in Israel's story in the Old Testament about being God's rescued people and how we commit to him through setting ourselves apart from the world and living out God's vision for us. Not excluding ourselves from the world, by the way. When we say set apart, we don't mean withdrawing. Not excluding ourselves, but not being of the world. We learned about God's desire to redeem us and to be in relationship with us and for us to live with him. That's what we've been reading as we've tracked through, particularly the nation of Israel's story. And if you're just joining us for this week, by the way, it's not too late, even though we're up to week 11, you can get the story on um, Kindle version through Amazon. There may be some new stock at Kurong as well if you want to go for a drive down that way. Now, last week, Pastor Mark ended. He had a great message, by the way, about Eli and Samuel, but he did touch on Saul at the end. Saul, the first king of Israel, he started so well, but he made poor choices and his leadership, it kind of turned a bit toxic and he took his eyes off God and he really went his own way. And that's a problem when you're trying to be the nation that will bless all nations, the nation that will reveal God to the world. So God was looking to anoint a new leader for Israel, and he was looking for a very special quality in this new leader, a special quality that is it's really essential to any person who would faithfully lead under God's appointment. Actually, it's a special quality for anyone who would say yes and follow Jesus. And it was in David that he found this special quality. And today I want, to, I want to know what it was about him, that God would choose him and ultimately make him one of the great leaders in Israel's history. You know, we, we love David, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. We, we love hearing about David. He's one of our favourites. Is it just me? Good. In one sense, David was a glimpse of what was to come with Jesus. You know, Israel was to be this people. They lived within God's vision for humanity and his presence and blessing would be with them and they would reveal God to the world through how they lived and how they worshipped. You know, they were going to be different. But while David was a glimpse of the Messiah, he certainly wasn't God. You know, he could point, though, to what was to come. Jesus would be the perfect Messiah. 
And like David, he would lead God's people into this redeemed vision, this new, new life with him. Jesus, though, would, would do away with this old covenant that David was, was operating under, you know, that it was, he was really operating under an imperfect sacrificial system of atonement. And through the, the death of Christ, as the once and for all perfect sacrifice, he would invite us into a new covenant with Jesus as our king, forgiving our sins, you know, made right with God, saved by his grace, gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit to live out that new vision. That's where we are now with Christ. And that's where the story of Israel points us to. Jesus, of course, would come from David's line. That's part of that wide arc as well. So David and Israel were part of, of, this, of God's plan for us. So Paul's leadership had fallen apart. God sends, did I say Paul? Saul's leadership had fallen apart. So God sent Samuel to anoint a new king, you know, well before Saul has even finished. Saul's still on the throne. God says to Samuel, he's not working out. I want you to go and anoint someone else. And here's, here's how it reads in 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Just moving down to verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Saul replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at their outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the things that we look at. You know, we, we probably should know this by now as followers of God. In God's kingdom, this is what matters far above all the other things that we think matter. Because you can be amazingly gifted. You, you can be wealthy, you can be successful and popular, you could be talented, you know, you might be good at sport or good at music, academically you're above average, physically attractive perhaps, you can be confident in yourself, you can get the top grades at school or uni and have nice things all through your life, you can be all that and the world will probably think that you are amazing and that all those things about you are amazing, but God may not be impressed with that stuff because he's focused on one very, very, very important thing about you. Who you are. The person that you are. What is the state of this right here, of your heart, when you compare it to God's heart? That's what matters to him most about you. The condition of your heart. Who you are, not what you've done. Or that, that can flow out of who you are. But that's what matters to God. In fact, it's so important, your heart, that he sent his son to die for that, for you, because this is what makes you who you are. Not, 
You know, he didn't send Jesus to make you rich and popular and successful. You know, the, the prosperity doctrine that sometimes there's around in Christianity is man-made junk. Forget it. Jesus came to purify your heart and to be your Lord and to give you a new life that aligns with his purpose for you. And you probably know how the story continues. Jesse's son, they come through one at a time. Each one kind of has some good qualities, but not the qualities that God was looking for until the youngest. You know, they're like, is there anyone else? Just David, you know, the youngest, and he's got the, the low job. He's just looking after the sheep. Surely he can't be the one that Samuel's here to anoint, but we, we kind of, we, we, know, we know God by now, don't we? we? We know what he's really looking for. And so they bring David out, and it's confirmed it's him because of that one attribute that trumps everything in God's eyes. If you go back to 1 Samuel 13, here's what he said. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. You want to know what God wants from your life? Here it is. Yes, of course, we can seek him for direction and everything else. You know, what house should I buy and who should I marry and what job should I take and where should I live? Those are all good things and God wants you to bring those to him because he's our Lord. But those things are a close second to this. God wants all of your heart. Heart after his own heart, according to that scripture. A heart after his own heart, a heart that aligns with his, that values what he values, that loves like he does and and loves what he loves, that's pure like his heart is. That's what matters to him because it's the heart that's corrupted and leads us away from God and his will for us. And it's the heart that just defines us in who we are at our very core. It's the heart that can lead us to love or to hate or to be selfless or selfish. That's why he keeps talking about it. That's his focus. Therefore, it's our focus. This is why Jesus died, to make atonement for what we've done and to cleanse us and purify our hearts. It's just something we can't do by trying hard, by the way, by ourselves. And while Jesus is ultimately our example, David's someone I think we can learn from because he was a man after God's own heart. That's why God picked him to be king above his brothers who were probably far more gifted you know, and far more popular. So this week, you should have read David. Hopefully, I hope you're all keeping up. Chapter 11. Uh, it'll, there'll be some more of David next week, I'm pretty sure. Chapter 12. Here's what I learned this week about a man after God's own heart. Number one is this. Always take the high ground when you're in conflict with someone else. Even when no one else does, David took the high ground in his conflict with Saul. And if you're, not unsure, if you're a bit unsure of this part of the story, you know, David, I'm not even going to, you're probably thinking he's going to do David and Goliath today. I'm not. I've done it before. You've probably heard it to death. It's an awesome story. But after that victory that David has over Goliath, he enters into Saul's service. And over time, Saul gets jealous of David and he kind of just slowly turns on him, which would be really disconcerting. For David, I'm sure. And and at one stage, they're in a room together in the palace probably, and Saul literally throws a spear at David. Like, I'm pretty sure with the intention of killing him. And so David, in amongst all this trouble, flees, and he goes into hiding. And there's this long period of Saul hunting him down. 
you know, with, with everything that Saul has going after him, and David with some of his friends spends years evading him. Even though Saul was literally trying to kill David, and, and David had several opportunities, by the way, to retaliate. And you would think, he's probably got every right to do this, considering the guy's coming after him. He doesn't do it. He could have, there's, there's opportunities he has to actually kill Saul and take that throne, and he'd probably be, you know, popular. The people are probably going, no problem with what you've done. But he doesn't do it. You would excuse him if he did, but he doesn't. He holds the high ground. It's the quality that God's looking for in people. Even though it was very hard and unfair, he never took an opportunity for revenge. Although I would point out, he did flee. So just one little quick side point here before I get back to that one. It's actually okay to flee from spear throwers. But I, in, that's, I know it's a funny way to say it, but I even mean it seriously as well. Do you know what I mean? It's actually okay to flee from abuse. I know for some in abusive relationships, it's complex and, and very, very hard to flee. It's always easier said than done. And I'm probably not going to labor this point today um, because it's a big point, but, you know, if... If you hear that today and you need to speak to me, then don't hesitate to reach out. It's okay to flee from spear throwers. But back to the point. The point is about resisting that desire that we have. You know, I know someone's not throwing a, a physical spear at us, hopefully, but people do throw things in various ways. And we're supposed to resist that desire to get revenge on that person. You know, we want to throw a spear in return. Because that's not the way of a person after God's own heart. Peter helpfully shed some light on this topic, and it kind of helps us in our context, because we're talking about David and a guy literally trying to kill him with a spear. So look what Peter says. He says, don't, in 1 Peter 3, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. When people insult you. That one fits our context, doesn't it? Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called us to do. And he will grant you his blessing. So a person after God's heart doesn't throw a spear in return. Obviously, not the physical one. In our context, we're talking about anything that comes our way that hurts us, that harms us. This is a good signal for us, church, about how we're going. I think, you know, how this is going right here. It's a test, if you like, to know, is my heart really aligned with God's in this way? When someone offends me or hurts me, I don't hurt back. We don't repay evil with evil even when they're not in the room. Do you know what I mean? Even behind their back. That's a hard one, isn't it? Come on, let's be honest. Someone's hurt us. It really hurts. We can get revenge without them even being in the room. In fact, 
if it's appropriate and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because believe me, you can't do this without him. A person after God's own heart responds to the person who hurt them somehow with a blessing. That's what Peter said. A blessing. But that person hurt me. Remember, you can flee spear throwers. Keep that in mind. Christ followers, though, respond to evil with good. That is what he has called us to do. In fact, that's how we overcome evil in this world, church. By doing good. And if Peter is right, and we have to agree that he is, you will be blessed for blessing someone who's harmed you or hurt you. Did you see that bit at the end of Peter's sentence there? A heart after God's heart. The second thing, the second lesson from David is you can be in the center of God's will and still be running for your life. Yeah, these great lessons. <laughs> we talked before about the depth and growth and maturity that comes from, from pain and brokenness in life. Those things aren't wasted. You might find yourself carrying a cross you know, because you said yes to God, like David did. But you shouldn't be surprised. It's almost always the case that out of a cross, something new comes. You know, we sang about new wine this morning. Something good. Usually for something new to come, something has to kind of die. But resurrection comes out of the cross. <laughs> new life comes out of it when we're willing to go through it. David had been promised the throne of Israel. He's been anointed by the high priest. He should be going through, you know, king school or whatever it is, and on his way to graduation and just walk straight in onto the throne. God anointed me. That's how we would think it was done. And here he is years later on the run from someone. He's got all the armies backing him, coming after him, you know, the might of Israel, trying to, trying to kill him. So we shouldn't just assume that saying yes to God means there's going to be an easy path that just opens up before us. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this. When you say yes to God, he says, okay, refining time. <laughs> here we go. James says, if you go to the New Testament, to the book of James, he says, well, when that happens, joy time, because it's a good sign. You're probably on the right track. And something amazing is going to come out of it. I know, we read that verse. Consider it pure joy yes. <laughs> when trouble comes your way. God is teaching you and refining you and maturing you and growing you, and you need it, and it will be a blessing. He's preparing you for what he has called you to do. I'm not saying that all of the trouble in your life is God's idea. I'm not saying that at all. But he's going to use that trouble. It's in our times and trials and brokenness that we become the person that God wants us to be. If we push into God in those times, by the way, because we do have a tendency to, to go the other way. Without these times in our life, I think I'd, you know, just think about my own trials. I'd be, I'd be weak and immature. Maybe, maybe I'd be arrogant. Maybe I still am a little bit and God's got to keep refining me. But if we trust God through trials, the outcome is usually humility, trust, you know, faith, growth, maturity. We learn to trust God in his timing and not ours. 
you know, we got another lesson from David. I haven't put it on the page here. I was just thinking is that, that lesson of, of trusting God's, or being at peace with God's timing. You remember a few weeks back, we were reading Paul's encouragement from Romans 8. He makes all things work together for our good according to his purposes. Gene Edwards wrote a good book called The Tale of Three Kings, and he says this. You yourself must endure the painful process of change. There is much more at work here than your instant maturity. God wants to build a relationship with you that is based on faith and trust and not on glamorous miracles. That was David's experience, and we admire the person and the king he became. The heart that's after God's heart, it needs to be refined. But be encouraged. You will be blessed as you trust and obey God. The third lesson is don't let other people's opinions stop you from loving God passionately. The thing I love about David is that his love for God, it was just out in the open. So good through his whole life. You know, when he was a shepherd, it was this, I know he didn't have many people around him, it was just the sheep, but it was out in the open, right? He would write the Psalms, he would sing the songs. God was at the center when he faced Goliath. God was at the center when he served Paul in the temple. God was at the center when he was, on his run, was, was running for his life. God was at the center when he led the nation capably as a king. And it seems obvious to me that David walked daily with God. He really was a man after God's own heart. In fact, his passionate love for God was always on display and he never let other people's opinions stop him from loving God. Loving God first. Openly. There's this moment in David's story, you probably read it this week, he decides the ark needs to come to Jerusalem because he loves God. There's this strong desire in David to always put God first and to elevate him. He had a great vision for a temple, although God said, your son's going to build it. Um, but for the ark to be in Jerusalem, in the tabernacle, where they could worship God, was important to him. So one of the first things he does as king of Israel is he brings the ark to Jerusalem. His love for God means that this is not just a simple delivery when he gets around to it. You know, this is going to be something that honors God, a procession and a celebration for the nation. And David, he's making it clear to his people that actually, you know, you're God's people. As the ark is making its way into Jerusalem, David can't help but put his passion for God on full display. Listen to this in 2 Samuel 6. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord. By the way, an ephod is just like a priestly garment. David danced before the Lord, not just kind of a casual dance. It says here that he danced before the Lord with all his might. Show us. No, I'm not showing you. <laughs> I did pause for effect and you took the took the bait. He danced before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. I mean, if you've ever watched national leaders or important people go to like a service or a church or something like that, they're very prim and proper, which is good, I I, I suppose. I'm not criticizing anyone, but in this moment, David was only concerned about one person's opinion, and that was God's, whom he loved. And you could tell He was a man after God's own heart. In this moment, 
His passion for God was on display. He didn't just push the ark into Jerusalem in a wheelbarrow on his day off. He made sure everything reflected God's majesty. Amen? Amen. (laughs) There were shouts. There was music. At this moment, David, the warrior, the man who had fought battles and was thought of as an amazing, like a general, danced before the Lord. Predictably, he faced criticism for this display in 2 Samuel 6, 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, that's one of David's wives, looked down from her window and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Then later, when she confronted him about it, he replied like this in verse 21, I was dancing before the Lord. You chose me above your father, and he, all, he chose me above uh, your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Pretty cool. I kind of like that. I am willing to look even more foolish than this as I show my passion for God. When it comes to your passionate living for Jesus' church, the person whose opinion matters above all others is Jesus. It's not so much about the dancing, although Kevin Bacon thought it was, hey. (laughs) If you're under the age of 30, I'm talking about Footloose, the movie. Oh. (laughs) It's not so much about the dancing. Focusing on the dancing, that can become a red herring, right? This is about a heart that truly loves God with all our strength and mind and soul, and I'm only going to worry about what God thinks as I do that. It's about concerning yourself less with people's judgment of how you love him, how you worship him, how you live for him. This lesson extends into all parts of our life. All areas. If you're with a group of work colleagues or friends and you know the situation you're in is not pleasing or honouring to God, perhaps you should politely excuse yourself and worry about what God thinks. Or if someone is being gossiped about or bullied, there's a, you know, that's the moment to show your love for God and step in and defend that person and worry less about what others may think. Maybe the topic of faith or religion comes up in a setting with your non-Christian friends. Will you care more about what God thinks and boldly but lovingly, of course, share your own testimony of, of faith in Jesus or will you hold back because you're worried what they might think when we should be worried about what God thinks? Or there's the classic, when you get to work or uni on Monday and they say, what did you do on the weekend? Do you tell them? I was at church on Sunday, like I am most weeks. Their opinion of you may change towards the negative but you're less worried about that and more worried about God's opinion. Besides which, I've had so many testimonies from people over the years of people who may have judged them because you're a Christian, you go to church or whatever it is, and years later they've come back to them in a time of need and they've gone to them. It's interesting. There's an opportunity there. I'm talking about how we love God passionately And we worry less about what people think about that and more about what God thinks about that. 
David was a man after God's own heart. His passionate love for God went with him in everything he did. I know there's trouble ahead. We're going to get to that next week. Just hear me. It was obvious to those around him. Particularly from what I read about him this week. It's what stood out. His lifelong desire was to deeply know and emulate the heart of God. That's a great vision for us. You know, you want to grab some purpose in life? Start with this, to know God's heart more and more and to spend your life going after that. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for the the story of, of King David is passed down to us and all the way to 2022, and we can read it and we can, we can hear your voice through the, through the pages and through the words and we can see the lessons, God. We can see the example of this man who was concerned about his heart. Actually, he was concerned about your heart and he went after that. I pray that, Lord, for us here today, that as we go through this, you know, even this week coming, God, I pray that you'll just help us to start each day thinking or praying, Lord, align my heart with yours. May my heart be like yours. We pray, Lord, that we would have the same love you have for people. We pray, Lord, that you would purify us we have the same desires, the same vision, you know, the same wants that you have, God. Church, just as you're sitting there, I was just thinking, this heart that the Bible talks about is available to you today because Jesus died on the cross and can wash your heart clean. So as you're just sitting there today, if, if, you, if you've never committed to Christ before, I'm going to open up that, that option for you right now. In fact, it's always open, but I just want to encourage you to take the, the opportunity that's before us and just pray a little silent prayer in your heart, asking God to, for, to forgive you for anything you've done against him and anyone else, asking or acknowledging who he is, that he is, that he is God and that he rose from the dead and that you would commit to him for life. You could just pray that prayer quietly in your heart if you want. So Lord, we just stand here and we just say, continue to make us new as men and women of God. Our hearts like yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.